Hello, everyone, and welcome to Petite to Queen's Claim Your Career Crown podcast. I'm your host, Lynn, and today I'm joined by our VP of Operations, Amanda. Hey, everyone. And our wonderful, wonderful guest, Wendy B. York. Hello. Now, I'm going to take a look at my notes here, so pardon me if I read a bit. Uh, (laughs) I want to tell you all about Wendy. So Wendy, in her own words, is the MS Warrior Queen. Oh, I love it. Okay. And she's been dealing with multiple sclerosis for many years, 30 years. Um, So after years of experiencing all different levels of exacerbations and permanent damage to her nervous system, which is horrible, um, uh, Wendy decided a few years ago, a few years ago, to begin a journey of to to healing holistically. So this is going to be a really amazing podcast talking about this. Um, Wendy's now a mentor to other women diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Uh, she empowers them to improve uh, their mind, body, relationships, and environment by bringing out their inner MS warrior queen. Woohoo! Sort of like Xena, right? <laughs> Warrior princess. Um, so Wendy is also an author of the uh, for the National MS Society's Momentum magazine. So that's tremendous. And today we are going to be talking about navigating life with MS and helping others with chronic and invisible illnesses. So Wendy, welcome. We are so excited to have you on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Well, we are as well. And before we get started, I want to remind all of our listeners, if you're joining us for the first time, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you don't miss out on a single amazing episode. And while you're there, share the love and click all five stars. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's get right into it, Wendy. Um, You were diagnosed with MS at a young age. Uh, I can't imagine as a parent um, coping with that, but as a child, you were obviously having to cope with that. Um, can you talk about that experience and, you know, your early symptoms to getting the diagnosis? Sure. I started noticing just weird things happening. You know, I was 16 or 17. Uh, and at that age, you're just invincible and you don't think anything's wrong with you. So just a simple hot bath would trigger these weird feelings in my legs and my feet of, you know, like tingling or numbness. And I would only go to the doctor for my sports physicals and would mention it. And he would just say, well, maybe you're still growing. He didn't think anything of it. And this went on for years where I would just, you know, notice those feelings. And sometimes they'd stay longer, you know, and sometimes they'd kind of go away. But it wasn't until I was almost 22 when I had a really bad attack or relapse. And that finally sent me to seek out a neurologist. Um, I was finally done with college. I was working at my first full-time job. And it was like somebody had their hand over my mouth one day. Like, I just couldn't get the words out. And I didn't know if I was having a stroke or what was going on. So that was finally when I went to see a specialist. And he didn't really know much either. So. That just led to a whole trail neurologist and testing and had my first MRI, which in the early 90s, that was pretty new technology. So, you know, that was a whole nother 
approval from the insurance company, the health insurance company, and even after all going through the whole MRI process, they said, well, you have some black spots on your brain, which could be demyelination, or normal people have those too, or the white spots, or, you know, what things show up when they scan your brain. So it was really just an inconclusive, hard diagnosis. Well, wow. it sounds that, like a difficult journey. Well, um, well, at that point, you didn't even know yet. They'd, right. So, I mean, I saw probably four or five more neurologists before one finally put all these pieces together from all the testing they did. And I guess the last piece was doing a spinal tap, which that neurologist didn't tell me to go home and lay down. I went back to work because. <laughs> so. Oh, my goodness. So, mm-hmm. uh, so from the time that you, I mean, this journey of seeing all the different doctors to finally getting the diagnosis with MS, how long did that take? Um, at least five years, probably going on six years. Wow. So you were then in your late, later twenties. Well, I guess if you start back from when I was 16, you know, then I was 22 ish going on 23 when they diagnosed me. Okay. Okay. What, what was it like getting this life changing diagnosis? And can you share a bit about the feelings you had and how you dealt with that? Well, it's shocking because you think, when you're that young, like, no, nothing can be wrong with me. You know, you're still at the invincible stage. And, you know, just hearing that you have this life changing illness is shocking. You know, might have denial or the why me, you know, why now? And all those thoughts run through your head of how to start navigate, navigating through it and how to tell other people that you have this. You know, it's really hard. Yeah, yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, I I I I I have some sort of, you know, my husband was diagnosed with terminal cancer and he was still, you know, quite young. And I know I had the, you know, this this literally two week pity party of like, how could this have happened? I mean, you know, all these things. Um, with him, it was, of course, a much, you know, he only, he lived three years and with that diagnosis and, um, you know, and of course his health deteriorated, um, uh, especially after the first year, then it started deteriorating and just, you know, it's sort of like a exponential curve. It just gets worse and worse and worse, faster and faster as you go. Um, and it was, it was a really tough. And I think that was where, you know, I, had to choose, you know, I had to choose whether or not I was going to just go down this, you know, pity party route, or I was going to, you know, buck up and, you know, grab the situation by the horns and do whatever I could uh, to, to go through that journey. And so I guess, but mine was a shorter term. It was a three-year journey. Um, and yours has been a much longer journey. Um, and so as you started to talk to your family and friends and your coworkers about the diagnosis, did you, uh, and I'm sure that was came in layers of when you told different people, um, but how did you go through that process? And um, also, you know, I know that with my husband, sometimes there's this, um, how people respond, whether it's, 
like they feel like they have to handle you with with kitten gloves or if it's um, they're they're really negative about it. Um, how did that impact that uh, navigation of that these early early years? I think a lot of people, not all people, but a lot of people want to help you. And some will say, well, let me know if you need anything, which that's kind of just the automatic response. And some people want to give you a cure that they heard about from their cousins, mothers, sisters, aunt. That's the magic cure-all. And I guess with those people, you just smile and go on your way. And when you talk about the negative people, this took me a long time to grasp. And it probably wasn't until like 2017 or 18, I was at a conference where Mel Robbins was speaking and she had like the perfect idea for anybody who's dealing with something that gets a lot of feedback from people that they don't want. And you just have to keep in mind that like energy is contagious. So whether it's good energy or bad energy, if somebody's telling you something negative, you just have to sort of put up a barrier and like look at them with different eyes of you know, what happened? Why are they so negative? And just love yourself enough to keep going. Just don't get pulled into it. And that took me a long time to be able to do, you know, even though my first boss at this job that I was at, you know, after college, my insurance job, he was into personal development and he would send me to conferences like Stephen Covey or Brian Tracy, because he was trying to help me have the tools to get through what he knew was going to be a lifelong ordeal. And that really helped me having a positive mindset and trying to just always go back to that, even if and when the things are really tough in life. And it sounds easier said than done. And you just, like you said, Lynn, have to just buck up and just grab onto it because it's not going anywhere. So you can either choose to just live life with this card you've been dealt and keep your nervous system happy versus wallowing in it or worrying about it and making things worse. Yeah, I really like that comment about um, emotions are contagious. Um, that That is so true. And, you know, you, d you really do want to distance yourself from people who are really negative. I mean, you want to always treat them, of course, with grace and respect, but, you know, um, take that step back so that you can't be pulled down into that cyclone of despair um, or of negativity, because it does. It just, it's like a, a, a monster that can just, it just feeds and gets bigger. And, um, you know, even in a really dark tunnel, there's still some things that you can um, admire or be fascinated by along the way. So. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that kept me going was my grandma had bad rheumatoid arthritis and she was diagnosed in her mid thirties and she was confined to a chair. And I don't know if she had some MS symptom, you know, going on too, but I just, the thought of her, you know, for 30 years sitting in the chair and all she could do was look out her window. And I just, all I could think was that can't be me. I can't, I can't live like that. And that was really my other motivation for trying to just 
keep on going, keep on conquering what was thrown at me. Yeah, that, that's actually a similar thing that happened in my family. Um, my grandmother, my mom's mom, she had uh, a degenerative form of uh, mus- muscular dystrophy. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And um, she was diagnosed in her early 30s. And she kind of, I mean, from some people's perspective, she kind of like let it control her life. You know, she um, she started moving around less and kind of using it as an excuse to not go out and do things. And, and she spent like the last, 10 or 15 years of her life confined to a wheelchair. And um, one of her daughters, my aunt, she ended up getting diagnosed with the same thing, muscular dystrophy. But she saw what happened with her own mother and she didn't really want to be confined in that way. So I've, I've seen that even as she's gotten older, she continues to go on hikes and she continues to work her muscles as much as she can while she can to kind of um, push back when she'll end up um, needing to have a walker or have a wheelchair so it's it's about like seeing what others have done and trying to find a more positive path for you yeah right yeah and things are so much more different now um like when my grandma was my age I mean there was not as much of a medical basis for anything And Mm -hmm. I don't know, she had like 20 surgeries on her feet and legs. And, but still like women weren't allowed to talk, you know, Mm -hmm. that was not happening. So I just feel like I need to be the voice for all these people in the past that just couldn't speak for themselves. Yeah, definitely. There seems to be a lot of stigma and misunderstandings around chronic and invisible illnesses. What are some of the biggest myths that you can address here? Well, I went through and made a list of like the top five things that people say about multiple sclerosis or think about it. And I mean, anytime you hear of a chronic illness, first thought is that, you know, it's a life sentence, which you're going to have it for life, but it doesn't have to be a life sentence. There are ways to navigate around it and to keep yourself going. Another one is that everyone ends up in a wheelchair or unable to care for themselves or only old people get it, or you can't have kids when you have it, or there's a magic cure. That's my favorite one. (laughs) So all these things that people say or think are just not helpful when you're listening to it or dealing with it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah, I totally understand. I, I, the whole thing about Someone, oh, you've got this miracle crew uh, cure. Take this herbal supplement thing. And the same thing happened with my husband because she he ended up having prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. And at one point, his doctor even said to him, you know, you're you know, you're going to die of old age before you die of prostate cancer. Well, he ended up having a very rare, aggressive form of it. And it just spread everywhere, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's just those types of um you know, misstatements and, uh, uh, and uh, that uh, you really can be, uh, you just have to sort of build up some armor, you know, so that Mm -hmm. you can still be like, thank you so much for providing this, you know, this, you know, this once again, some kind of, but I'm, you know, and you don't have to say, but you know, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to follow what the doctors at the university of Washington tell us to do. Mm -hmm. But, um, 
if something sounds intriguing, you can talk to the oncologist about it or for you, your specialist, but right. um, I'll treat them thanking them, you know, for their, you know, cause they are genuinely thinking that they're trying to help you. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly there are some things that um, I know that there's some herbal supplements, like I use uh, a special herbal tea when I get headaches and it's really helpful. Mm -hmm. So there's certain things that, yeah, absolutely. But, um, you know, the whole idea of this, uh, miracle cure um, is, uh, you know, it's really got to be that trust that medical science is going to keep working on it. Um, and hopefully you can also be a part of their progress. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you believe that it's actually harmful to pretend to be and feel fine when you're actually suffering. Can you explain why that is? It was, I've been pretending I'm fine for 28, 29 years because it's just easier than trying to explain what's going on. And like I said before, people ask how, you know, how are you? I'm fine. That's just the automatic response because people are in a hurry. They don't really want to hear how you really feel most of the time. And if you do divulge that you're tired and with MS, chronic fatigue is a huge problem. I mean, you get up in the morning and sometimes you feel like going back to bed at 10 o'clock because you're just exhausted. So if you dare tell anybody that you're tired, everybody's tired because nobody sleeps in America. <laughs> so it's just, you just get, you're just, you know, unwilling to share how you really feel. And it just gets to the point where, like you said, you just keep saying you're fine. And all of a sudden you're at the point where you do need help. And then now how do you ask for it? Because you've been saying you're fine for all these years. So it's just a fine line of how much you share and with, I guess, which people that you trust. Yeah. Yeah. There's always that element of oversharing that you have to be cognizant, but there's also a point where um, I know that one thing is totally different circumstances again, but my husband would do that. And he would also do it in a way that was not helpful at all. Like he would do that in a way where he's talking to the doctor and he's saying, Oh no, I'm doing fine. Everything's been going well. And I'm going like, no, you're not. And um, after I realized what he was doing, I was going to every appointment with him, you know, for the last two and a half years, because I felt like I needed to be there and needed to make sure everything was documented, what he was going through. And I will say that, um, you know, the doctors at University of Washington were so amazing because they never accepted that as an answer. They kept digging and then started asking more and more specific questions because they because they needed to know, right? I mean, from a medical profession. And I think that, um, you know, when we're going through that, um, you know, that's really helpful. If you have a medical provider who can be there for you to really be that resource. And I think that's what's so amazing. You're not a medical provider, but you're like this resource that people can connect with who, who's gone through this journey. So they can tell what's sort of going on and somebody's going to get it. Um, so I think that's, what's so critical here is that you've used your experiences in this incredibly positive and empowering way, um, uh, with MS to develop a program to help other women navigate, um, this, uh, incurable illness. And I'd love to hear more about how you brought this all together 
uh, to provide this service? I have just found there are so many gaps in care. And when I was diagnosed, it was the early 90s, so there wasn't the internet. There weren't online chat groups like there are now. And you just handed a pile of booklets to read through and kind of figure out where your life is going to lead. And just being online, like now with, you know, there's Facebook groups with just specific people with MS. And some have 20 or 30,000 ladies in them. And they're all kind of talking about the same things, you know, the exhaustion, the no help from the partner or the partner thinks they're lazy or, you know, there's notorious as your disease progresses, there's bathroom problems and nobody really talks about it outside of these groups. And I just want to empower women to, you know, improve their mindset and to love themselves. And the relationship aspect is the same in that department or related to that as well as, you know, the relationship with yourself or your partner, spouse, or your kids, your coworkers, your friends, family, because these are all things that you have to navigate. And the goal is to have the least amount of stress in your life. So I just link arms with these ladies. And we also go through what they're eating or drinking, um, what they're using in their home. And in the environment aspect, you know, that also entails what you're using for products in your home or your office or your garden, because there's toxins that are inflammatory and we don't even realize it. You know, we just throw it in our cart at Walmart or Target or the grocery store and we're just aggravating our symptoms. So I'm just trying to fill in the gaps in care. And like you said, not to replace any medical providers, but there just isn't enough time during the doctor appointments. You know, and I realized that a long time ago to cover all these different aspects. Yeah. Well, that brings up a really just like you said, just some of the products that you're using around your home and how that can have a really beneficial impact um, or the opposite detrimental and being having that kind of aware of uh, being able to get that kind of information and that awareness. Cause it can just be a, a real simple different choice, right. Um, mm-hmm. That can, you know, every little increment that helps um, they, you just keep pa- piling on those little increments that help. Um, and all of a sudden you've got a, a really nice little pile, mm-hmm. <laughs> a nice little mountain that you, you have, um, to that can help out. So Wendy, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and experiences with multiple sclerosis and how you've developed a program to help other women with MS. I mean, this is really so important, such a great topic. Um, and Wendy, well, I know that our audience is going to want to learn more about you and find out more of, and where can they find you more about you? I, mean, that, I, I don't think I could have said that any worse. <laughs> Share with our listeners how they can find uh, you. Sure. Um, I'm on Facebook under Wendy Bjork and LinkedIn, Instagram as the ms.warriorqueen. And then my website is heartsofwellness.com. And there's links for my program or links to work with me. I have ebooks on there as well that are downloadable. So I just would love to talk to anyone and hear about their journey. 
Yeah, and we will be sure to include all of those links down below. So if you're listening or watching, just scroll down in our post information and you'll get all those links. So Wendy is just a click away. <laughs> oh, so thank you, Wendy. This has been such an informative discussion. And for those of you who may have ideas that you would like to share, please um, leave us a comment in the comment section. Uh, we do love hearing from you. And if you have a question or would like to suggest a topic for discussion, you can email us at jointheconversation at petitequeen.com. And to stay current on all our of our incredible resources, um, our downloadable uh, assets that we have for you, and incredible podcasts like the one we have today, you can join our weekly wisdoms uh, newsletter at petitequeen.com. All right. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Amanda. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you everyone for tuning in.